Welcome back to the Spinner Rack, all of you new you maniacs here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, the voice of the new universe. How many times did I say new universe there? We're your hosts. Andy, the new universe podcaster, talking about Mark Hazard, Mark Annual One from the new universe. And Stephen with also New Universe's favorite Merc, Mark Hazard Merc, annual number one. I'm not sure if he's actually New Universe's favorite Merc, given the uh, direction the series has taken, <laughs> but he's our favorite Merc. He's, he's beloved by your podcasters. Started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology. Eight new comic series launched in one month set in our world in 1987. Now, as we close out the first year, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals, except for a few secret agencies, a.k.a. the CIA. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We can be found on our website, kickersinc.com, where we'll have various uh, amusements that are New Universe related, such as the Super Sleuth Summer Sweepstakes, which is still available with a new trivia contest coming Um as we wrap up season two here, um, we're still open to a new universe slogan contest. So if you've got a slogan that beats one of the two or three that we've accumulated over the last month, uh, send it in. And we have a Twitter account at Kickers Inc. where you're updated on various um, the upcoming podcasts. We'd also like to give a shout out to our friends over at the Marvel Comics New Universe fans Facebook fan page who are uh, not run by us, but are big um, supporters of the show. Yes. And so in today's episode, I'll be covering Mark Hazard Merck, annual number one. Uh, Mark Hazard, um, combat veteran. Had been a soldier of fortune since Vietnam, but he had lost his relationship with his son and ex-wife and his comic. Uh, he tried to put his family back together and reevaluate his life while dealing with the real world repercussions from his decades of fighting. Where did it get him? And who will inherit the mantle of the Merc? Who Cra- is the Merc? Who is the Merc? Is it crazed neocon Lynn Griffin? Uh, British agent provocateur, Sergeant Major? Possible the Aussie Mel, Ninja Vixen Priestess, Helicopter Pilot Turned Paraplegic Treetop, <laughs> or most shocking of all, Scotty, his 12-year-old son. Ah! <laughs> I'm hoping for Scotty, I guess. Why not? He seems to have the penchant for violence back in issue two, so or at least he was unfazed <laughs> by it. <laughs> Uh-huh. We could place our bets now, but I'm afraid we've already read it. So. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, so yeah, the solicitation for this one was Merck Annual Number One. Not a hoax, not a dream. It's the death of Mark Hazard and the introduction of the new Merck, Scotty. 
I added that. Uh, and what might just be the biggest shocker of the year that we told you that was going to happen. Uh, scripted by Doug Murray, penciled by Vincent Waller, inked by Fraha Bator, with a cover by Mike Zack and Bob McLeod. There we yeah, go. So short version, Mark Hazard faces death for the final time. You Probably can... not because now he's immortal. <laughs> <laughs> He somehow ascended to to what? No. Um. Yeah. The the you can only face death so many times, I guess, because it only has to win once. Anyway, we'll be doubling up on these annuals as they are giant sized. They were not kidding about that. We're taking it easy going through the four annuals that came out that summer, still in the order they were produced, but without the regular issues that were appearing that week. We'll start month thirteen. Uh, off afterwards, I think Psy Force 13 came out the same day as this. So. Yeah, it's a yeah, little, it'll, it'll be a little strange starting the month off with a Psy Force issue. Madness, <laughs> yeah, maybe a minute about the Tom DeFalco mattress sale or age as <laughs> he's taking over as editor, but, but yeah, it is the dawning of the new Tom DeFalco age, okay. <laughs> new you say uh yeah so let's let's talk about mark hazard merc annual number one the final issue of mark hazard merc even though it did sound a little bit like they were hinting that the new mercenary was going to be kind of shown here um i mean we know since it came out in 1987 <laughs> in july that um you know there was no more merc comic books so um We'll see what happens by the end of the issue as far as that goes. But, but yeah, Mark Hazard had been uh, shot by his ex-wife's current husband, who turned out to be not only kind of spineless and worried, but also, you know, basically put out a hit on Mark Hazard himself. Uh, and although Hazard had proven himself pretty competent in taking out just about everybody, um, he took some damage. Um fighting off the villain from the early issues. I forget his name off the top of my head. Gray Malkin. Gray Malkin, thank you. Um, and went back to face the ex, uh, the uh, uh, new husband guy and ended up getting shot and uh, not quite killed, but hospitalized. Uh, meanwhile, also uh, second string mercenary lynn griffin decided he was gonna round up a couple of afghans and take it to moscow so he was heading to the mainland to uh <laughs> fight because he loved freedom so much maybe something so i don't know if we should start off with this but the the question i had going into this was whether this takes place before or after issue 12 um so yeah it, it, it's not particularly clear but yeah. i'm thinking it's got to be after though but who knows who knows yeah it is it was a little hard to figure out uh but anyway so as we said uh cover um mike zach uh it's got a nice shot of not mark hazard uh firing a gun yeah, kind of real big close up. So the final issue uh, or of this story doesn't even put the poor guy on the cover. Um, 
again, kind of making me think that they were going to set up Lincoln Griffin as the new mercenary, but we never quite get that, obviously. Um, so opening up the book, the title of the story in the splash page is A Matter of Lives and Death. And in fact, we find our story, Penciler and Inker are correct from the solicitation, Doug Murray, Vincent Waller. Um, and we've got editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. So I think that's the first time we saw this, right? So up until now, everything still had Shooter's name on it. Yeah, that's the first one I've seen. So so if we don't like it, we can blame the new guy. <laughs> um, so the comic picks up with a big shot of um, Sergeant Major, uh, who was Mark Hazard's friend that helped him train some rebels in South America and then kind of helped him with his rescue a while back. Uh, last seen hanging out with Lincoln Griffin in Afghanistan. Uh, and here we kind of pick up there. So somewhere in Russian-occupied Afghanistan, um, which makes it seem like this is before issue 12, uh, yeah, it felt felt like they were heading actually into the bo- across the border or something at the end of twelve. But yeah, it, that's what it seemed like. But yeah, maybe maybe not. Maybe it's a longer walk than we thought. <laughs> probably quite a ways. Yeah, yeah. Walk, walk across Texas and uh, get into. Yeah. Good luck. Um, but yeah, there's a a whole bunch of presumably Afghans, you know, in the background, looking like they're running a training course, and they all basically look terrified, (laughs) holding rifles over their head and and kind of marching. Um, And so Sergeant Major is sort of taking them to task. Uh, As we go on the comic, it's a a panel or two of him him yelling at them uh, until Lincoln Griffin comes up and is like, how's it going, Sergeant Major? And he's like, oh, they're good men, sir. They'll be all right. You know, after he was just telling all of them how terrible they were. Uh, and so they You stop. make me sick, you private. Get back up there. Um, but he, yeah, he's okay. British, though, right? So what does uh, an angry British guy even sound like? Is that possible? Uh, I spilt my tea or something. I don't know. This really burns my crumpets. <laughs> I I could do British or I could do the guy from Full Metal Jacket, but I can't do them both of this. Uh, okay. We probably won't get canceled for making fun of the British, right? Not any more than the Texans, no. All right, they're they're fair game. <laughs> okay. So so you know, they they meet up and uh Griffin says, you know. Yeah, they're all right. I wonder how Hazard is. So they're kind of thinking back. It's like, I right, sir. Although I always thought he was indestructible. Why, I remember the time. <laughs> yeah, read my mind there. Um, so get ready for flashbacks and retrospectives here. Uh, they're not necessarily montages. That might be the missing piece. <laughs> well, I got to say, every time they go into one, I keep like, I wish like I had like a music hit you know like the going to vietnam and start playing fortunate son or something or they go into um like the inner city back in the u.s when they come home and they want to hear some r&b or something it it would be really complete this um, Mm. yeah i don't know my skills aren't really up to there and if if it's not a button in the free program i used to record (laughs) these things (laughs) One of these days, one of these days. Um, so yeah, we get some retrospectives, you know, basically, and how they met. Um, 
And so this part is actually kind of interesting. So Sergeant Major says, after the war, I kind of drifted into mercenary work with that group they called the Wild Geese. Although I always thought that Richard Burton film, that Richard Burton was wrong for the part in the film. Um, Did I was you look last, that up? A little bit, yeah. Did you know, know much about it? I'd never heard of it before. I think they'd mentioned it when he they went to rescue uh, Mark in the in the Iranian prison. He, they were like the wild geese came to help us or something. Yeah, I didn't think it was anything at the time, but you oh, it's a movie. It was a movie from 1978. Yeah, I, Wikipedia on it was so long. I thought I'd I didn't want to overdo it. So yeah, actually, what's interesting and you know at, at risk of going too far aside like the plot is different right so you know the main character is a british army colonel turned mercenary you know and you know he goes on missions and things and things like that Uh, but like if you take a bunch of pieces of the plot of that film you know even down to like you know escaping in an old plane um like it's it's a lot of like chunks of this doug murray version of the story like i think a lot of Okay. Uh, what we saw in Mark Hazard, Mark was like, you know, kind of recycled or, you know, reworked points from this film. So it might be interesting okay. to watch. Um, yeah, yeah. It did sound like it. He must have gotten some inspiration from it for something, but to use a lot of it would be very interesting. I, I saw that the the author of the book it was based on was like an actual Rhodesian guy. Hmm. And, um, Apparently his children have like stopped the ability of people to pr- reproduce the book or distribute the film. So oh, interesting. They're like, there must, it must apparently not be too, uh, you know, modern sensibilities or something. Like, yeah. To it, but, well, look, there's a character who dies and like, you know, one of the mercenaries dies and like, you know, leaves a message, you know, take care of my wife and son. And like, so there's, there's quite a bit of overlap, at least what it seemed like. Um, yeah. I won't go as far as to say he stole all of his ideas from there, but it might be stole possible. all his ideas. Says <laughs> so. So anyway, like back to our uh, comic book, Wild Goose. Uh, you know, again, he says, "I always seem to be fighting the bloody Africans." You know, that, that's where they were in the film. Uh, always trying to retake some rich big shots holdings. No matter how good, how well trained we were, we lost men, good experienced men. And then more often than not, the rich big shot would refuse to pay. It was a losing proposition. And again, from the Wikipedia plot, you know, in the end, the their rich contact like pulls a side deal and ditches them. So he has to go mm-hmm. down and kind of face him off and stuff. So, um, but there's a great panel. There's a couple of shots of like him in action. But then, you know, coming down back to like reach to uh, uh, meet with the literal, you know, guy in a suit with the smoke with the cigar and bald. Uh, it it's, looks like, it's a, like a Thomas Nash uh, political cartoon with like a fat cat, um, like wearing a top hat. And yeah, it's basically that guy. Um, but then this show, um, you know, a couple of mercenaries are kind of all beat up and, and Sergeant Majors, they're angry. And he says, after all, you can only take a loss and create an example so many times. And like, you know, apparently they, they car bombed the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned, I suppose. It's really <laughs> more of a mal thing, but okay. I guess yeah, cause he's a little more vicious than we gave him credit for. Um, they show him getting married. Uh, this is Sergeant Major. Uh, but then, uh, you know, 
lives yeah, back forget. at the Shire when, near Hobbiton, I think. It doesn't look like that. But there's a, a show on TV about like British countryside and their stuff still does kind of look like that. So um, what, are, what are we wasting our time here in America for? That looks great. <laughs> it does. Unless it rains or something. I don't know. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, so so Hazard kind of brought him back into the game. And, and this is probably in reference to the issue we had where he, he called his buddy in to help train these uh, uh, mercenaries, or at least that's what it seems like uh, as far as that goes. Uh, da, da, da. And then we get interesting comments in all these retrospectives, as, but then it all came apart. Hazard lost control and we started doing jobs for everybody. We made money, but it wasn't the same. Now he's in the hospital, shot in the bloody U.S. I just don't understand it. And Griffin says, neither do I, Sergeant Major, neither do I. But let's forget it for now. We've got work to do. I think the, the yeah, Sergeant Major's thing was training people more than being the, the gunman himself, which is, I mean, he'd sort of gotten, you know, a bit of that, but here he like just comes out and, you know, is very clear about that was where his interests lie. And right, he's been doing that obviously now in Afghanistan. Um, he's also got a wife and kid, or at least a wife, right? We don't know about a kid. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, they'd alluded to it before with some joking about Mrs. Peel, but yeah, so like maybe don't go on a suicide mission to Russia, <laughs> but anyway, we I digress. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then uh, you know we get to some some action scene where uh, you know it looks like they're laying a trap for some Russians. So they got the Afghans, uh, you know, kind of all up all around this sort of mountainous ravine, uh, planting little bombs and you know you know moving rockets and guns into position. Um, and it's just sort of an interlude uh, before we get to Lincoln Griffin's story, notably. He's been in this book for a while and we've never heard anything from his backstory. Yeah. Weird. I was just going to say the um, interlude with the Afghans. It looks like the, um, the old man leader at the, of the Afghans at the beginning of 12. um, Kamal. Right. Sometimes when they're talking to the Afghans, rather than like the young guy, a Brock who took over by the end of that issue. So that's my another, my only another clue that it happened before 12. Just a yeah, thought. I mean, mm. Nothing conclusive. Maybe this was planned to come out before, and then like 12 was the continuation of the series, and then it just never continued, perhaps. So that also makes sense, yeah. Mm. Anyway. On to Lynn Griffin. On to Lynn Griffin, the most exciting mercenary, let me tell you. Dun, 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 dun. So apparently he was a Navy SEAL. Uh, so, he, so he got into the Navy toward the end of Vietnam, became a SEAL because I wanted, I don't know, seemed like the thing to do. Yeah, sure, it's not like you have to be driven and work super hard to do that. Um, so ended up pulling. I got okay. sent to Annapolis by my father. We have a strong naval tradition. Then he was unhappy when I wanted to not be an officer. And wait, what do you mean that's too similar? Come on. <laughs> but uh, that is the Mark Hazard <laughs> intro. Yes. Uh, this is end up pulling up little missions. I uh, got good at it, got a little cocky. 
Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen this in action movies where there's like a Vietnamese guy on like a dock or, a, you know, like a plank kind of bridge thing where you're underneath it with sneaking around with a gun or a bomb. Like, I feel like I've seen that in a thousand different movies, but maybe just because I watched Chuck Norris stuff recently. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, he wasn't looking out for the guard. So although... Um, the guard spots him underneath as he's planting bombs, but he kind of distracts him enough uh, with some wire clippers, but it pulls the guard down, but the guard gets a shot off, which then alerts the Vietnamese. Um, so he has a big firefight between like presumably you know, Griffin's boat and the Vietnamese soldiers, which are uh, on the dock, sort of on the land, you know, there's explosions and he kind of misses his, uh, route out of there so Lincoln Griffin kind of gets stranded uh, he's in a wetsuit with the goggles kind of looks like a G.I. Joe character because um, I managed to make it to shore in one piece but it wasn't exactly in my element it's like oh well you're not perfect at everything Lincoln Griffin <laughs> it's, like it's only good in the water I'm pretty sure Navy SEALs are trained for just about everything but anyway uh, he says still I managed to start moving in the right direction but it wasn't as good as I thought uh, so we show some presumably more northern Vietnamese soldiers with AK-47s. They're in the jungle, but they kind of spot him um, or at least come close to spotting him. Um, says, though I still didn't know, the, says, I didn't know they were there. And Oh, OK, I see. I'm sorry. I got a little mixed up. So they spotted him. He didn't realize it. But before um, they could get Lincoln Griffin, Mark Hazard sneaks up on him with the knife, finishes him off with a gun. So Mark Hazard saved Lincoln Griffin's life in Vietnam, which we didn't know before. All right. Yeah. So as I mean, so in this point, Mark Hazard is quite literally like Chuck Norris from Missing in Action, who just goes out into the jungle by himself to go and rescue some POWs that other people have forgotten. Um, though, uh, yeah, I think maybe this is after. So I think it checks out. Um, they found him on a sweep. Um, so they get out, you know, and, and start heading out. Uh, he says, finally, they were getting surrounded. They dug in to wait for the Vietnamese to catch up. He said, I was scared, ready to bolt. But he, Mark Hazard, was as calm as if it were a picnic. And he just pitched grenades at, into them until they broke. And break they did. After that, we just made our way back to our lines. So I kind of like that. He's, he's just got like a big box of grenades or something, just endlessly. <laughs> it's going to kill him eventually sometime. Yeah. I. Uh, this reminds me that I didn't do a kill count for this issue. He's uh, got mm -hmm. like a couple of guys exploding over here. So It might be difficult. Yeah, it's kind of hard uh, to parse out yeah, who, who's getting a lot of people going on killed by who. Yeah, and so so Lincoln Griffin was rescued. Uh, they made it back to the United States. Um, again, this is a commentary from his friends. He says, I saw him a few times after that while still in country, but he seemed remote, not the same when he wasn't in the field. I mean, that's pretty much Mark Hazard's backstory. Like, that's what he can do. He does combat stuff well. Uh, it says, finally, I shipped home and found things had changed there as well. And there's a funny shot of like, Hippies. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. The uh, hippies burning their draft card, although it also maybe looks like a dollar bill for some. Yeah, it looks like he's burning a $10 bill. 
I'm not sure I why, they, why you would do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, the girl with the headband has like the peace signs, not right. Like it looks more like a Mercedes Benz sign. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> the the art style in this whole issue is this. Uh, oh, we'll we'll dive into it a little more later, but it's a, it's a nice sort of almost like alternative comics, like it's like an R crumb hippie couple um maybe they yeah have... this and but just hints of it like it's not over the top cartoony it's just kind of like a little bit of cartoony yeah know, it's just blended with a little style. Yeah, yeah so it gives you like a nice kind of feel to it i guess but I don't know. yeah so I, I like this next part so again like finally backstory on lincoln griffin uh to says his family was happy he was back though and he was determined not to stay in the military he looked for a job that fit his training um what they, we see what looks like probably got to be his mom and dad on the couch and then a little kid which i can only assume is like a very younger brother that's how i read it but i mean it looks so like he's not like a teenager when he comes back i mean i don't know it's yeah, he it seems looks like, like he's eight or nine or something. Yeah, yeah, because he's like, ah, oh, back home with my family, and and suddenly like he's like some tiny kid's room. Here you go, Lynn. Here's I kept your room just the way you left it. You know. So, <laughs> yeah, it seems a little weird. Like when you say I went, I was back with my family. You think like you're you're a grown man. You have your own family at this point, right? Nope. Okay. Well, no, guess not. <laughs> Uh, but I like this part. So he becomes a sky marshal, like the guys who, uh, you know, sit on the planes with a gun in case something happens. He says, but I found the government didn't really know what it wanted sky marshals to do. So like somebody grabs the uh, flight attendant woman pushing the card and like has a knife on her. Uh, and Griffin just blasts <laughs> him in the face with the gun. <laughs> it's like they certainly didn't want us to stop hijacking. It's like, oh. <laughs> What's a little blood splatter? <laughs> Interesting. Um, I guess some safety violations. So he tried policing. Uh, they get a shot of like him as like you know, literally riding shotgun, sitting in the passenger seat with a shotgun. Um, uh, with you know, looks like the fat cat guy from before, but dressed in a police uniform now. Ah, um, oh, you thought you could get away with me? I'm the fat cat of the police force. Uh, <laughs> and we get some some classic yeah, stuff it. where, you know, like, hey, this seems like a great job. And they have pictures of like him and other police officers, you know, holding criminals at gunpoint that look like they just robbed a bank. Uh, but then a picture of the courtroom where like a lawyer is yelling at him. And then another picture of the courtroom where all the criminals are like walking out laughing <laughs> at him like they just got off. <laughs> and these are like, it's like I don't know. It's like he, that's not a hard case to make. He forgot to read them their rights or something. <laughs> Maybe they got a little weird in the seventies with uh, with uh, all the like you know, courtroom shenanigans and yeah, <laughs> very much a joke. I think so, the um, yeah. There, so there's just these uh, group of of criminals who are uh, held up and then they're walking out and waving to them. Like their expression is so dismissive, and he's like, "Yeah, that was is yeah." So he says, 
Uh, I quickly came to realize that this was just a different sort of jungle, and I didn't know all the rules. Uh, so I not quit. blow them all away. Yeah, I guess. Or just blow them all away, and then they can't get off in the legal system. Uh, so I quit, and I got back into a game I did know. I became a mercenary. Uh, took a lot of jobs for the company, uh, but I got to the point where I <coughs> didn't. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. So I didn't trust them very much and went on my own. Uh, net hazard a couple of times, usually on the same side, but sometimes on the other, right? I mean, if that's true, you're dead, buddy. I don't think you were really on the other side of Mark Hazard. No offense, Lincoln Griffin. Uh, and again, so we get some sort of like down commentary on Hazard in a lot of these. It says it seemed that Hazard started going bad then. He was on the wrong side a lot. Although in this job, it's hard to tell which side is which. And then they have pictures of <laughs> Lincoln Griffin war criminal. <laughs> it's, it's like a, gonna, you wouldn't go back to that country, dude. You're going to have genocide charges on you. Really? Yeah, he, he's like firing a gun while a village is burning down around him. There's someone like hanging from a tree behind him. Yeah, hanging on another, news, yeah. <laughs> and some soldier who's presumably on his side seems to be about to execute a bound and gagged prisoner. Um, well, bound and blindfolded. Sorry, yeah. I don't want to seem like a monster. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Wow. I feel like that one tiny panel on page 12 validates our entire opinion of Lincoln Griffin. <laughs> well, yeah, you're on the right side, Griffin. Yeah, sure. It's a um, well. That's always the thing with mercenary is like it seems very glamorous and like oh, play plain soldier, and but then actually going around and shooting people for a living seems also terrible in a way. And, yeah, geez, that would be hard to sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so that then we we cut back after him. Uh, I wonder if he's telling that story to Sergeant Major. And it's like, oh, this one time where we burned all these villagers. <laughs> I trained those villagers. It's like, what? oh, we all we all have those days. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you gotta kill a couple children. Oh, uh, you know. Yeah, that's uh, that seems reasonable. He's just tell- talking this out to 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 Sergeant Major while they're waiting for something to happen on the Russians. <laughs> All right, so so then they go back to Afghanistan, which I'm pretty sure is a mission that I did in Metal Gear Solid Five, where you have to uh, like set some bombs and stop a convoy of armored vehicles from moving forward in order to help some rebels. I'm like I think I've actually accomplished that digitally. I didn't actually kill anybody, Griffin. Um, uh, but yeah, they're they're uh, you know viewing up from above you know they had been setting their trap earlier uh, russian convoys moving through a pass the afghans uh, finished their last minute preparations they got a little remote control bomb um so as a convoy of like trucks and armored gun vehicles and stuff rolls along you know they hit it with a bomb uh using claymores uh the russians start to kind of scramble um they start to head up to uh like mortar positions that apparently they had ready or or just kind of uh you know climbed up to start using them um, the the russians are either being thrown by the explosions or they're um testing out those mark four max suits that um (laughs) 
uh, yeah. Jenny had uh, imagined in the, the last issue of her series. But anyway. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> the, the yellow flying <laughs> bodies, right? Like it would have been such a great opportunity for like the micro crossover if they had to take out a max suit, though, right? Like, Come on, guys. I would love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so uh, Griffin and the Afghans had like trapped their mortar position so that they the pressure from the the mortar bombs set off like a, an explosive plate kind of thing. Um, oh. So basically, yeah, that, that's what I got from it. Basically, like the Afghans just rout the Russians and kill them. Um, I wonder which if you're on the right side of this one, Griffin. <laughs> um no, that's clever. I'd missed that part as on my read through. Yeah, so it's quite a bunch of detailed combat scenes. Um, the Afghans are kind of celebrating, but then they're also expecting like helicopter backup to show up. So the Russians send their hind D helicopters in, um, and but they're ready for them with the, a volley of Stinger missiles. Right? So, which again kind of makes it seem like this is before issue twelve, where they had like lost most of their equipment. Um, but yeah, from there, um, you know, they're in the guerrillas camp, sort of, you know, enjoying their success. Uh, some pretty well done action scenes with a lot of detail, by the way. But um, and uh, again, they reminisce about Hazard again. So he says, yes, it's nice, Sergeant Major, but I can't help wonder what's going on at home, though. Uh, and here we finally get a clip of Mark Hazard, you know, page 16. He's finally in the book. Of course, he's hooked up to life support and tubes and IV bags and stuff. Um, so he says, back in a New York hospital, the doctor says, we have to operate immediately. It's his only chance and we have to try it now. Um, Hazard's wife uh, is there. She says, if you say so, doctor, go ahead. Uh, she leaves the uh, operating room and we see a lot of the squad is there. Uh, priestess, Mal, Treetop, still in a wheelchair, and uh, Scotty are all like, waiting to see what happens with Mark Hazard. And uh, she's in rough, sa- rough shape, uh, Hazard's wife. And she says, they tells him, oh, they, they say they have to operate immediately and his chances are slim at best. And so we get kind of a panel of everyone looking sad. Um, and cue one more flashback for this half. And Maul says, down, 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 down. Pop in the A-Team VHS. Um, says, Slim, Mark, I can't believe it. He always seemed so indestructible. Treetop says, believe it, man. 20 grams of lead can do that to anyone. It's like, it's only a couple of bullets. It's like, remember when we first met in the NAM? Dan, Dan, Dan. So, yes, here we get our flashback to Mel. I uh, says, and I still struggle with this. He... He doesn't have his full beard. He just has a mustache. And it just bothers me. I can't handle it. He's a redheaded Freddie Mercury. Yeah, kind of. memories. <laughs> which is, uh, a little off-putting, but we also get that he's... Uh, the, the New Zealand has been uh, retconned completely, I guess, as he is now officially Aussie. Maybe there's nobody knows the difference. <laughs> I was attached to the Australian Army training team, Vietnam, for for short. Well, attached, okay, so maybe that's, you know, just. Well, that's his explosive backstory, since he was teaching him to use explosives. Um, Until one fine day, I was taking a little walk through the city, (laughs) 
um, like a tank goes through the wall. We got like a full on, like full page art <laughs> tank coming through. It is great. Right. Full splash page. Pandemonium broke loose. And there's a yeah. chicken running, you know. It's like this is, I mean, yeah, th- this art is just like fills every corner with the like if something crazy is going on, it really feels like a full view of you know, lots of people, um, their surroundings and you know, everything going crazy. So yeah. I enjoyed that. Where was this guy in issues three and four? That's what I want to know. But anyway, so so we get some mall. Um, yeah, so again, you know, he's just kind of in a town where that's under attack and tanks going everywhere, like he's running this for his be life. Saigon itself, actually. Uh, is it? Okay. Because he, he says Tet had broken out. That was the Tet offensive, which went way oh. south. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. I don't have that kind of Vietnam knowledge, so um we got a nice panel of him like snapping some Vietnamese guy's neck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I was able to gain some equipment. So again, the metal gear, you break the guy's neck, you take the gun. Um, so we got a nice shot of him like running, like, you know, AK 47 in each hand, you know, guns blazing. <laughs> uh, but unlike in the other stories, he actually gets clipped. So he gets shot in the leg. He's kind of splayed out, uh, you know, just, dead man style just laying there it's like i guess uh he's like my luck ran out but i guess it hadn't run out just yet not just yet so he's kind of laying there expecting the end Uh, all the soldiers closing in on him get shot and he says it was mark he was hit too but he hadn't quit yet it's got a bullet hole in him says and blasted if i if i had either um so basically as we are getting used to uh, Mark Hazard swoops in and rescues one more of his mercenary crew. So they really all do kind of owe him something. So Hazard rescues Maul and basically they escape the city as it's being destroyed. He says, we found us a place to hide and then got some food and water, kept us alive. And uh, Maul is kind of in the jungle, like tucked in kind of like, you know, like a cove around tree roots. It's kind of hard. There's a term for that. I forget, like a nest or something but um or a crib i'm trying to remember there's something anyway um they're kind of hanging out is that in metal gear 3 i, it, I don't know that it is actually it, it would fit in better there though yeah um this is you know hazard went after a radio and somehow he got one so again hazard is shot like up in the shoulder so he's injured too uh, but they seem to be uh, still hanging in there this is and we were able to call in help um so we get this huge ad for tsr <laughs> um and he says and we got out alive and in one piece so we got a nice another kind of classic vietnam movie shot of the helicopter coming in and the grass is blowing and you know one guy's kind of hunched over and you know his, well he's got his arm over his shoulder kind of dragging him uh though notably i think you know so Maul's leg is hurt but so Mark is supporting him, even though like he's supporting him holding on like right on the shoulder where he's been shot. So clearly Mark Hazard is a tough guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so rescued yet another one of his infamous crew. Um, they cut back to you know the future. And uh, he says, I saw him a couple times after that. He told me about his father, what he planned to do, and then the war ended for me and I went home. Uh, since it was a 
for a while it was all was dinkum dinkum good or dinkum bad i guess good <laughs> probably well probably because he's blowing things up like, looks like he's a construction demolitionist uh, oh i thought he had joined the village people oh. <laughs> was it the blue shirt and the hard hat yeah it's a it's a good because i found a good job had some laughs but after a while i got bored hit the bottle hard Again, our artist does a great job showing drunken mall holding a bottle. It's like looking sloshed. Uh, every, I love you, bottle. Everything is no longer Dinkum. Mm. Less Dinkum. What happened to the Dinkum days? They're all behind us now. <laughs> They've been de-Dinkumed. Uh, says, then he came back and he gave me something to do. So, so Hazard <laughs> walks up, grabs his like whiskey bottle, takes a swig, smashes it on the table, and gives him a job. <laughs> Where has this Mark Hazard been? Like, you know, like, why didn't you write him this cool all the time? Um, and it says, we moved around the world and there was a lot needed doing. Um, and so I think these, like, this is probably the best friend, right? Like closest crewmate and uh, really in previous episodes like forgiven him for quite a lot and they, they always come back together and and uh end up being friends and working together again and he says and then things seem to go sour he was my friend and i lied to him uh we get a panel of mark punching out uh mal which i think is from when he kind of lied about his sister and tried to get his sister's boyfriend killed <laughs> I think that's that was my impression. You get, I think, priestess in the background, but it could have been um, Phoenix, his sister, too. Either way, it's the same. Issue. Good memory on that one, Phoenix. <laughs> uh, it says, and then I let him down, and now he might be dying, and there's nothing I can do. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Mendoza. Um, it's only three days before retirement (laughs) (laughs) well there may be nothing that Mal can do but there's something we can do we can take a break and switch narrators (gasps) (laughs) so let's do that which for you if you keep listening it's only a couple seconds for us we don't even get to listen to the cool music but you do Mm. all right break time back um jumping right back into the story we're in the hospital and switching over from mal we see uh priestess talking to uh joan Um, joan is uh grilling her i guess he's been living with you i know who are you what are you to him they look over as uh, a gurney goes by and really wheels uh, Mark into operating or maybe the recovery room. And uh, as, as he goes by, Priestess is saying, it's more what he is to me. Maybe they're just wheeling him to get some ice cream. Wishful thinking. He's fine, <laughs> isn't he? He's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Priestess. Yeah, don't worry. It's, nothing's going to happen. Um. Now it's Priestess's turn for a flashback. 
And um, Priestess's story starts off in, I guess, uh, she says, I came to New York alone, running from my father. So she's a teenage runaway in 1970s New York City, which is... What could go wrong? Wow. I mean, it's like every like uh, uh, warning story you read when you're a kid. Like, whatever you do, don't run away from home. Don't go to the big city. Don't get turned out by a pimp. Don't get a, become a drug addict. Don't, you know. Um, so she's just standing there and there's... I don't even know. Big Daddy Kane? Who's like a famous pimp? <laughs> Good question. That's out of my area of expertise. <laughs> it's a borderline uh, racial caricature, but, um, you know, also historically accurate. So um, she's like, she's saying, I was on the verge of becoming one of those statistics you read about. And suddenly the pimp guy is uh, eye to eye with Mark Hazard. And Mark sort of gives him the brush off, just you know, stares him down or something. So she's uh, well. The best part is the the pimp guy's got one of those like cigarette holders, like Cruella de Vil oh, kind that's of thing, that like oh, that stupid okay. long thing with a cigarette on it. And, and Hazard gets so close to him, he grabs it, lights Hazard lights his own smoke with it, and then kind of like yeah. The guy, whisks the guy, the guy away, or he just runs for it. <laughs> yeah, he's holding onto his uh, cigarette holder, and uh, Priestess is holding on to him. So she's uh, go, continues. I didn't understand it at the time, but he fed me and listened to my story. And they're like in a diner, and she's eating something, and he's just sort of sitting there listening to her. I mean, we also slept together, but you know, I mean. Not not when I was underage. No, I'm just kidding. They're walking through um, maybe Greenwich Village. I don't know. Um, watching more hippies and uh, sort of just walking along. And uh, she says, and he took me to the sensei. Ninja school martial arts master sensei. And the sensei agreed to take me in and teach me karate. It took a while and a lot of work. So we see little montage scenes of her in a, whatever you call it, outfit, dojo. Um, yeah, like a karate gi or something, maybe? Gi, there you go. Yeah, the, the white uh, outfit. And she's like, it was the only way to ensure my independence. And she's, uh, by the uh, third or fourth panel, she's flipping over the sensei, who's uh, kind of a heavy set guy. And uh, he looks happy, and she says, eventually I succeeded, and he is giving her a black belt, and Mark is standing there uh, approvingly in the background. Kind of like, sequentially, it looks like she went from like showing up to black belt in like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it doesn't show doesn't the passage her, of time style well. or anything, but... Um, I'm assuming it's supposed to be montage, but... <laughs> We will we'll assume so. She's um, maybe a year or two older, but <clears throat> she's uh, she's then at a funeral when the sensei died. By the way, I was really um, going to try to tie this into the uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooter sensei who shows up in the first couple issues, but I guess this one dies or possibly fakes his death and then goes to Boston to train Jenny Swenson. <laughs> I like that. 
But uh, she says, he left the dojo to me. And uh, for some reason, they call it Master Priestess. Yeah, we don't really get any origin for the name there. Yeah. But as far as I was concerned, it was as much marks as mine. So she's uh, uh, grateful to him. So when he, when he had problems recently, I took him in without question. And she's like pulling up the covers on him while he's, she's fully dressed. And I do it again in a minute. I mean, of course, we were sleeping together, though. That's <laughs> very apparent in the books we read. I don't know. It's their kind of. I guess he wouldn't emphasize that part to uh, his ex-wife. <laughs> yeah. Skipped over, skipped over. Anyway, I do it again in a minute. Joan is uh, touched and gives her a hug. Of course you would. And the uh, doctor is um, now telling them, we'll know in a few hours, looking up from Mark. Everyone is sitting around. Then... Next page is another full page splash, which maybe this would have been, made a better point to uh, transition the narrators, but then I wouldn't have gotten to get tell the priestess story from my angle, which is eh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> too late to change it now. <laughs> too late now. Let's take another the... break. <laughs> How about a third break? These annuals are longer than anyway. Two hours later, uh, the doctor is doing the old like flashlight in the eye thing uh, to Mark, who's uh, got a ventilator, I think, tube coming out of his mouth. And the doctor, who doesn't have a name, is saying, still too early to tell. Why don't you all get some dinner? We'll call if there's any change. And they're all down in the co hospital coffee shop when Treetop starts up with his story. I can't stop thinking about how vital he used to be. Um, That's kind of was... a weird thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> how vital someone used to be? Yeah, I mean, Mark was full of life, I guess. He was um... really, like, walking around much better before he got shot a bunch <laughs> of times. So, like, I can't believe it. Can't stop thinking about how he moved around more when he wasn't shot. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just got hung up on the. Uh, he starts using like lots of lingo in the next panel. I was flying slicks for Uncle Sugar out of Da Nang, <laughs> working for MACV, putting coverts down all over North Vietnam and Cambodia. Now, as I said, uh, Doug Murray had been writing the Nam, and at the back of that, they would have like a little terminology crib sheet for you for with all these. Okay. Uh, things terms that they'd work into the uh, story but hmm. can we pretend treetop is speaking about himself in like the third person like treetop was flying the plane <laughs> then treetop got in the helicopter treetop made mark hazard mad the first time treetop saw mark was in 69 after tet so a little after mal's story treetop was pulling an extreme okay stop that. oh god this is working so well treetop was pulling an extraction just north of the z it was Hazard's group. They had wounded. We started to take hostile fire. So he, he's in a helicopter, and some guys are pinned down by fire. He comes down to, to pick them up. We start taking hostile fire, and Treetop is what Treetop was trained to do. Treetop got out. 
So and half the guys are still there, but the helicopter lifts off. <laughs> and uh, you see Mark like laying down some fire. <laughs> Tree job got back to base and not floated the moon. <laughs> Oh, it's not even that funny, but I can't stop laughing. <laughs> and as Treetop was finishing, the second slip came in. So the second helicopter had uh, picked up this uh, rest of the group of soldiers. <laughs> and Hazard leaped off before it even touched down. He runs right off this other helicopter, runs right over to Treetop, pulls him right out of his seat, and um, punches him right in the face. He beat the living tar out of Treetop. Three jobs, you could run them up on charges. But he was right. Treetop shouldn't have left those men. And Treetop apologized. <laughs> All right, in a second. <laughs> and we ended up working together a lot. And, and there we go. It's Treetop flying the chopper that's taken Mark into battle so very uh, synergistic relationship then the war was over and treetop is uh oh that's the uh last flight out of vietnam I, I didn't notice that at first but it's we're like on the aircraft carrier when they're just pushing the uh Hueys off the off the boat to get out of vietnam and uh then it's at least it was over in the nam and he's back home, or at least he's in like a crappy um, inner city, and it's like junk and debris, and like a guy on drugs or something, and everything's you know just a disaster. The um, he continues. I decide to use my skills to get rich quick, and ask not too many questions, and it worked. The money just started flooding in, so he is like. Flying a plane, like a DC three or something, and I don't know—is he smuggling something? Doesn't say. But suddenly he's flush with cash. I was rich. I was legit. Now you were just smuggling a minute ago. I okay. I don't know. Anyway, he says he's legit and bored. He's like in a uh, shirt and tie with one of those like balls that smack into each other desk toys that was popular. Yeah. It was uh, like Newton's cradle or something. I forget what they're called. I don't remember what it's called at all, but it's more of an eighties thing than a seventies thing, but yeah. I don't know. Years had gone by maybe at this point. Then I met Mark again, found out what you guys were doing. I had to get in on it and I insisted on running the show. There's where I made another mistake. So yeah, this is stuff that I, I, I think we'd picked up in from like an interview with a writer or something that like treetop was the, the boss of the outfit and was, um, became very money obsessed and was um, sort of starting to do bad deals. And maybe where people are start saying before that, you know, Mark had, you know, think it was going worse. Things were going worse for Mark where part of it was these deals where treetop would get him involved. I'm maybe on not on the right side of them fight or something right yeah so he says he only thought about the money and then it all fall up fell apart mark couldn't work that way and we recap the uh fight from issue five or six six maybe um, yeah where the uh they finally had a big fight over the contracts 
and Mark not only punched him out, then shot him through the leg, and he eventually exploded. And then Treetop is surprisingly, the worst part is it was my fault, although I never told him that. No, all my money can't help. Can't help at all. Hmm. Move back over to uh, Priestess and Joan. Uh, Why did you divorce him? Priestess asks Joan. I've never been able to understand that. He never stopped loving you. Um, Joan, it's like, I never quite understood it myself. Scotty's there, but you know about his father? Um, we start flashing back into Mark's own life story, but as seen through the eyes of Joan. So um, it starts off with uh, his father um, playing baseball with him. And uh, except it, his father looks a lot like him in this um, depiction and with him as Scotty. So it looks like Mark is just pushing Scotty around. In, in a, yeah, there's a little bit of enough difference. So that, like, it, almost, it kind of treads the line fairly well. But okay. <clears throat> so uh, they're saying. Joan's saying that his father wanted him to be the best at everything and never settled for less. Never let him be a child either. So he gets uh, pushed really hard by his father uh, and doing sports. And no matter what he did, no matter how he did it, it was never good enough. Um, very angry looking old man. Then they're at a um, the prom and it's Joan, young Joan and young mark i guess so they're like this is their high school prom probably and so probably the early 60s i think yeah dancing to the beat brothers yeah it's that like more like late 50s than like the 60s you remember so it's just kind of cool and uh she's saying his father still wasn't satisfied um and he went to west point and there's more fights with his father Mark was good at a lot of things, tactics, languages, a lot of things. He was a cadet officer, but he wasn't the best. And his father couldn't accept less. So his father, who I, it never shows him in uniform, which was the thing I thought was that he had like a military tradition and was an officer himself. Mm, maybe um, they forgot about that part. <laughs> maybe. So this also doesn't have his mother who is yelling at him in one of the uh, the old issues too. Yeah, or even the specter of his mother yelling at him. <laughs> uh, Mark uh, quits the quits the point and marries Joan. That put him in the army as an NCO, but he didn't care. Non commissioned officer. He was happy there. He was good at what he was doing, and his father was nowhere around. And Mark is like. <laughs> It's like he is happy there, and the picture they show in that panel is him <laughs> so angry and shooting something so dead. It's hilarious. I don't know. <laughs> I think he's pretending whoever he's killing is his dad there a little bit, maybe. <laughs> you know, to flip back to where he was talking, like Mal was saying, um, he, I saw him a couple of times after that. He told me about his father and what he planned to do. It almost sounded like he was going to go back and kill his father. Mm-hmm. That way. And this seems to be like whenever you bring up his father around him, it's like, oh, I'm going to go kill some more people now that you remind me of my bad father. Anyway, Mark, uh, as for the rest of the people in the story, 
then the war was over and he's back and he's got like surrounded in the background of his panel with um, welcome baby killer mm. something something got the john rambo treatment he did i mean sure mark it does kill babies but that's just part of his job it's well that was lincoln does. griffin that kills babies uh, yeah. russian babies yeah uh, anyway mark's like couldn't find a job um then scotty was born and things got worse but mark found a job working at what he loved and he comes back he became a mercenary then a mercenary <laughs> commander he's got like a wad of cash in his hand okay i guess that's better was a fun he, was ha- that he got a job doing what he loved <laughs> killing people <laughs> You know, if you work at what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I guess so. He was happy, but I wasn't. I never saw him, and I worried all the time. You can imagine, he's, you know, he's like all over the world with these things, gone for who knows how long at a time. Right? Not even at an army base or something. You're just, you know, yeah, rogue. You, can't, you, you <clears throat> cannot take your wife and kid along with you on these weird mercenary missions. There's a, uh, she's reading a Time magazine that seems to have a soldier on the cover, but I can't quite tell what it's supposed to be. Yeah, no. War report. Finally, I gave him an ultimatum, me or his work. I was just like his father, just like him. And I lost him. I lost him for good. Scotty's still a baby or a toddler here. And I guess Mark storms out. Sure, I remarried. I had to for Scott, but I never really gave up on, never stopped loving him. <sighs> you had to get remarried? Is that like a older thing? Like, It's like in the 60s. Yeah, like got to have a dad around kind of thing. Yeah, support the family, have a role model or father figure and all that. Yeah, you, I mean, things were harder on a single... Back she, she almost even remarried someone who wasn't killing people well he had to start killing people eventually <laughs> didn't he joan it's, not like, <laughs> it's easy to have a few fingers pointing at other people when maybe there's several pointing back at yourself anyway uh doctor is back and he comes in. would you all please come with me and Mark is still on the ventilator in the bed. And then we flash back to the wilds of Afghanistan where Sergeant Major and Lynn are still talking. You feel it too, don't you, sir? I don't know, Sergeant Major. I do know that I feel really down past that bottle. And like some Star Wars kind of like a disturbance in the force. Maybe I, you know, looking at the top and the bottom panels, I thought maybe there was like a shooting star also in the background. Oh, yeah, that's a nice catch. I didn't catch that. Which is harder to say in the top, but it's easier <laughs> in the bottom. So um, back in oh. New York, this is the EEG, the instrument that monitors brain activity. It's flat. I'm sorry, your friend is gone. Only the machine is keeping him alive. And then Scotty pipes up right away. Turn it off. Scotty, turn it off. My father would want it that way. And Joan concurs. He's right. Turn it off. So we see a uh, hand going over to the EG uh, or something else. 
that turns the respirator off as like someone flips a switch. And we have a final panel of Mark in darkness, the EEG going flatline, respirator off. And outside in New York City, you see the skyline. Oh, it's the World Trade Center there. Mm. Um, and a, a sort of a shooting star, star in the sky, maybe. And uh, it just says end down below. Yeah, that I actually kind of hit kind of hard when I read it. This is, I got to say, surprisingly good for me. I really yeah. enjoyed this book. And um, I'm not saying it made up for a lot of the last few issues, but it right. did sort of give us a, a good end to it, sort of tie them together. And I don't feel like as as adrift with a, a guy who is taking his time to go nowhere or something. It's yeah. pretty, pretty solid work. Yeah, it's, it is nice to end on a high note, but then also why, why wait till now, right? Uh, to a degree. Why does your high note have to be the end of the series and the end of the title character? Yeah, the I mean, the the we'd kept thinking that they were, the guy was sort of pushing Lynn Griffin into center stage. Um, it's hard. I mean, we were never given a reason why Lynn is better than Mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even in this, which I enjoyed. It's always people telling stories about Mark. You're never sort of inside Mark's head the way we were the first couple of issues where it's right. sort of this internal monologue. That's, that's the thing I did notice was still kind of lacking. But as far as like you get sort of all these different points of view around Mark and over the years of Mark, it's not perfect. I mean, it, but it does uh, add up better than I had expected going into this. Yeah, the, the writer had kind of used him a little bit of more of like a plot point or almost like a force of nature kind of thing. Like, you know, he's still like sort of supreme and intimidating and effective kind of stuff, but not interesting right? Yeah. or thoughtful or smart, right? It just kind of this super capable wall of mercenary kind of thing. But but yeah, then this, this ended well. Uh, um, I mean, it's it's a little cheesy to do like, hey, let's remember him fondly kind of thing. But it's also like I'm glad to have gotten finally some background on, especially the like the new characters. Mm -hmm. the, like we we never really had much from Mall or Treetop. A little bit less from Treetop, but uh, but yeah, we definitely got nothing from the new characters, the Sergeant Major, Priestess, and, and even Lincoln Griffin, who we knew nothing about. So, yeah, we always sort of felt like they were told, yeah, told they were cool, but you know, and and the connection to them of them to Mark was so like off page that right, it's just we owe him, right, or we really owe him big. Okay, well. I would, you know, I'm still sort of trying to think of a good way around this. Beep, 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 beep. Uh -oh. oh, hey, it turns out he is okay. Oh, oh here you go. The, the shooting star is the old man from Starbrand <laughs> and comes, comes back and uh, 
brings him to life in his alien revivinator. <laughs> there you go. Uh, conceptually, I mean, I know it was kind of always a tenuous um, bit uh, for this sort of war comic in the new universe line. Um, so I don't know the 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 losing the main character before any sort of military action starts up later or even just losing that sort of um here's a different point of view on what's going on with the in the new universe um i'm gonna miss that definitely as well so yeah yeah and for me with comic books killing the character is never almost almost never a good idea right because you're only losing out on possible story you know and the payoff or like the excitement of like oh wow like this character died is is like never like worth it you know like trying to be uh exciting or dramatic or call attention and like which new universe character will die and like you just started nobody like nobody should die right (laughs) put him in prison have him hurt sideline him for a little while or something like don't need to kill them yeah let's see how old would mark be he'd be like uh 80 now i mean maybe now you could die i don't know yeah i guess (laughs) uh it's a uh well maybe we'll save some of that for the recap uh discussion but um uh, we'd mentioned that the artist, uh, you know, had this sort of uh, interesting style. I think cartoonist Kayfabe calls it like outlaw comics, where it's kind of more of a, you know, um, non-mainstream, uh, a little more like old alternative comics. But, you know, and, and um, I'd looked it up and he'd done only a little work in for Marvel just before this in a um, anthology title called Savage Tales. Um, a lot of sort of men's adventure fiction with war stories, Westerns, things like that. And you can sort of recognize the style. It's a, um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot more, you know, there than a couple of recent issues. Um, so and maybe had more time to work. I don't know, but um, I thought he did, did a good job with it. And that really helped me. Uh, also mm-hmm. it wasn't sort of classic war style but um like you said like for the hippies and things uh the inner city um people it's it's very uh, sort of amusing but um i don't know what quite what to call it yeah and, and there's details right like the the blank backgrounds always bother me but you know you can see the door and the latch and the chain link fence and the books in the background and like you know it, it, it's it looks full um one thing i i found and and it struck me as wrong when i saw it so if you have the books um like page 33 is when they recap in the annual where uh, mark hazard shoots treetop in the legs and like cripples him um, but you'd notice treetops like firing back with an Uzi in that mm. shot, which didn't seem right to me. So I, so I picked up the book. Uh, and so it was issue six where uh, that originally happened. And they don't have page numbers. But when that happens, uh, while treetop does have a gun pulled on him, it's just like a handgun and he never fires. So treetop never opens fire on Mark Hazard. Uh, Hazard just hits him 
in this in kind of a surprising way and kind of leaves them out there and and you know crippled laying on the ground and i think ditches them too and like steals their car so yeah um, yeah it reminded me like like back when people still cared about star wars and like george lucas would would change like the scene where like Greedo shot on yeah. under the table, which makes no sense. And fans would be like, that does, that's crazy. And like there's a little bit of that. It's like, well, treetop shot first. <laughs> he does feel guilty, but mm-hmm. does he feel so guilty that he's making up like then I had a big gun and I started shooting at Mark. Right. <laughs> yeah, I uh, it also reminds me a bit of Derek Robertson you know the boys um oh the the artist um not super familiar uh what else did he do he did a couple of series okay but uh it's a um let's see did we get anything else i i mean like i said he was definitely sleeping with the priestess Um, oh yeah (laughs) although maybe he waited until she was you know not like a teenager um, at least not seen on page older teenagers <laughs> all the let's see Mal and Treetop and Lynn and Sergeant Major I mean we, we, we've sort of seen this um, reminiscences of Vietnam in a number of movies and things yeah so. uh, I do have to say that uh, it was either my world's best or worst idea to have you narrating treetop in the third person and I just could not stop laughing so bravo but hopefully to our listeners that didn't sound awful of me just choking in the background on my own laughs and tears so third person tree, treetop is a weapon not to be used lightly I'll have to uh, see what I can do with that at some future date well, uh, let's see. I, I we we wanted to point out that yes, there's a new um, universe news in the back. We'll have a few more um, issues that we're covering with that month to dive into it. But the biggest news is the um, change of editors in chief. Jim Shooter has officially left, and. Tom DeFalco has taken over as the editor at this point. Um, we'll see more transit, more changes in the new universe, which in fact they promise us because as they said in um, something before, but just sort of alluded to it, um, there'll be a single uh, editor, Howard Mackey, taking over for the whole new universe line going forward. So we'll look into a little bit more of those announcements. Um, have time when a book that doesn't go on forever (laughs) and that's about it for this week's episode next week we will finish up our coverage of the new universe annuals the next and last appearing of the four 1987 annuals is next week's dp7 annual number one (laughs) which is going to break us with dialogue i'm sure (sighs) 40 pages of gruenwaldian (laughs) Maybe we can get a third person in to help do the book in thirds. Uh, but yeah, so the DP7 annual number one is in our solicitation for that issue says, meet the new universe's latest paranormal, The Witness. 
nothing like the Watcher at all. Uh, the Witness saw each of the DP7 members manifest his power for the first time. And so will you in Origins, scripted by Mark Gruenwald, penciled by Lee Weeks, inked by Tony DeZuniga. Uh, short version, DP7 annual number one. He was the only one to actually see the displaced paranormals gain their unusual powers. But who is the Witness? I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess we'll we'll find out. Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, did we I find have... out who the new Merc is? That's the, you know, I I forgot to say. Did, it never says like, oh, you, Lynn Griffin, are the new Merc now. <laughs> so why? What was the point of that? I okay. Anyway, yeah. oh, grades. I'll give that one a B. I was thinking B too. Yeah, that I mean, was a late grade, but we snuck it in. Enjoyable, and there we go. Um, <laughs> you can look us up on our website, kickersinc.com. Email us with New Universe slogan contests at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And this has been the voice of the new universe, and we will see you back at the spinner rack. Don't throw away the duck. Treetop says, don't throw away the duck.